1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I just want to say this, just to remind us that we do, we do have a hopeful faith, right? I mean, we come here this morning and some of us are tired, some of us are sick, some of us are hurting, some of us are struggling with different things in life. But one thing that sets us apart as Christians is that though all the world around us might seem like it's chaos or unsure, as a Christian, we have a hope that does not waver, right? And so we can come this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we approach this word, knowing that in Christ we have a hope greater than anything else in this world. And I hope we will approach the word with a, a hopeful understanding this morning. In 1 Thessalonians, as we continue here in this study of this letter from Paul, um, I want to just remind you of a couple things that we discussed uh, a couple weeks ago. And basically, here's the context of this letter. Paul, the great apostle, the great missionary, goes and preaches three consecutive Sabbath days in the city of Thessalonica. And as he preaches... Um, not everyone believes, but some do believe. Some of the Jews believe, some of the Gentiles believe, both men and women, some believe. And so in the midst of this, this city, there are some who believe in Christ, and they turn to Christ and form basically this new, young, small church. And in that context, not long after, actually immediately after, uh, some of the other people in the city are very angry about this. They don't like Paul. They don't like Christ. They don't like the gospel. And so they begin to persecute. And so Paul has to flee the city and go to a nearby city, and as he goes, he, he leaves these young believers that he cares about, but he knows that he must go on about his mission, and so a little bit later, he sends word and hears that their faith is going okay, they're doing well back in Thessalonica, they're, they're not perfect, they have some issues, they have some things they're working on, they have some struggles, but they're a young church that is seeking to serve Christ, and hearing this, he writes this letter to them, that we're studying now, called 1 Thessalonians. Found, if you found chapter 1, this morning I'm going to start in verse 5 and read through verse 10, as we hear a sermon called, You Became an Example. You Became an Example. Look in verse 5. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. 
going to give you four thoughts from these verses related to these Thessalonian people, these new believers, how they became examples, not only in their church and in their town, but how they became examples even throughout the region that they lived in. The first thing is this. These Thessalonians, Paul says, received the word. They received it. Now, we won't turn there this morning, but over in Acts 17, verses 1 through 10, we see the entire story of him preaching, and he's preaching that Christ is Lord, that Christ died for their sins, that Christ rose again. And as I already told you, many of them believed and received the truth that he preached. Well, how did they receive? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They received it in joy. And they received it, verse 6, in much affliction. So was it easy for these Thessalonians to receive the word that Paul preached to them? Was it easy to receive? Think about that for a moment. Now we know that God does a work of salvation, and in that case, I guess it is easy, right? He does the work. But was it easy for them to receive it and become Christians in their context, in a silly city full of idols, in a city full of sin and darkness? And I would argue, no, it was not easy. He says, you received the gospel in affliction. It was not easy. And this goes against some of the major teaching of my lifetime, which one of those false doctrines that we have to deal with in our lives is called easy believism. Ever heard of easy believism? That's the religion that says, or the faith that says, I can just say a prayer, walk an aisle, join a church, get baptized, be a good person, go to church from time to time, and then I'll be okay with God. I'll be right with God. I'll go to heaven. I'll, be, I'll have my sins forgiven. It's, it's easy. Just walk the prayer, say, walk the aisle, say the prayer, and I'll be saved. Does the Bible teach easy believism? No, it's a false doctrine. It's a lie. And worse than just being a lie, it has given millions of people false assurance of salvation. Undoubtedly leading multitudes to hell because of that false doctrine of easy believism. You see, these believers in Thessalonica hear the gospel, but they receive it, verse 6, in much affliction. Despite the persecution, despite the Antichrist people, the people that were against Christ there, they received the truth. Verse 5. I'm going to go back and catch something here that I left out a couple weeks ago. I didn't mean to, just something I want to bring back to our attention. In verse 5, look at the last part. He says, you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. As I've kind of thought more about that phrase and reading the whole letter, I'm noticing how Paul here is defending himself to this church. He's defending himself. He's, he's going to say it in, in other chapters as well. And I imagine those folks who were against Paul were slandering him greatly. I imagine after he left, they went to some of these Christians and said, y'all cannot listen to that guy. He's just here trying to spread his agenda. He's trying to just get famous or become the great, a great preacher, a great missionary. Maybe he's just in it for your money. Maybe he's just in it for this or that. And Paul says in verse 5, you know what kind of men we were among you. And in doing this, Paul says one way that they were helped to receive the word is that his life and his ministry brought credibility to a gospel that was being attacked. 
Not that the gospel needs help, but it does help when a messenger has credibility, right? There's people in your life that will tell you something, and you've heard they've lied to you before, and they've lied to you many times, and every time they tell you something, you're like, I'm not listening to that. Y'all know people like that? I have people like that in my life where I'll listen to them, but it goes in one ear, out the other. Why? I just don't trust them, or they've lied to me in the past. I have no reason to. Their credibility has been damaged. Paul says our credibility is fine. It's, he says, you know what kind of men we were. Look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Even that we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. In other words, we were there for the right reasons. But verse 4, As we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God with tri- which trieth our hearts. Verse 5, For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Let's get down to chapter 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblamely we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who's called you into his kingdom and glory. I want you to see this point, that their receiving of the gospel was not an easy thing, it was a much affliction, but it was guided by and assisted by and helped by the fact that the messenger, Paul, and his fellow ministers were godly men. They were doing the right things, living the right way. And the message they received was accompanied by sacrificial love. I say this to encourage us, church, to encourage me and you, that as we go about this world to be examples, if other people are going to receive the word, we know first and foremost that God's going to do that work in them, but we also know the means by which God uses to reach people is his church. And so we must do all we can to have as much credibility And by credibility, I mean we're loving, we're kind, we're patient, we're wise. We're not angry. We're not um, looking to offend easily. But we're preaching the gospel in love and with grace. That's what Paul did here. Number two, not only did they receive it, a very important thing to notice in verse 9 is that these Thessalonians responded to the word. They responded to it. So much so that as we've read this morning, the word has sounded forward in the whole region that these people have not only heard something, heard a message, but it's changed their lives. They've responded to it. We believe here, we preach here, that if you receive the word by faith, then there will be a response to that faith, right? We believe this. And we believe Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. But we also believe Ephesians 2.10, which says, We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God saves us by grace, then he, and then he also saves us for works. To be examples, to live the life he calls us to live. We know James 2.14-17, which says, Faith without works is what? Dead. 
And so these believers not only received the word with joy and much affliction, but they responded to it. Look at verse 9. He says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now this might seem like normal biblical language to us, but if you lived in Thessalonica in the first century, you would see it differently. You would, maybe first of all, you would think, well, Caesar is over us. We are to give him honor. We don't serve anybody else. He's over us. Or maybe in the first century, many people would actually serve actual idols or worship actual idols. Many people would even be involved in making these idols. So when Paul says, cast down your idols and serve God, that's going to hurt some people's bottom line to say, wow, I make idols. I need these people to keep buying my idols, right, so I can have my business. Paul says, get rid of that stuff. No wonder they wanted to run him out of town, right? So this, it's a complex thing here that they're going through, a complex level of darkness and sin that these young believers are being encountered with. But Paul says, regardless, you received the word in joy through affliction, and you responded because you've turned from those idols. You've cast them away, and you've turned to God, and you've turned to serve Him. Spurgeon on this verse, he said, uh, he said that people around were probably asking this, what has happened to these Thessalonians? They've broken their idols. Now they worship the one God. Now they trust Jesus. They are no longer dishonest, drunken, impure, and contentious. He said everybody talked of what had taken place among these converted people. Their faith sounded out as an advertisement of the gospel. And so I bring it back to us, church. Have are our good works sounding forth? Are our lives showing forth? Do we have faith without works, which is to say no faith at all? Or has God's work in us, the work he began in us, is he continuing that and displaying that? Colossians 3, 5 and 6 tell us how we can respond to the word. And it says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In other words, Paul says in Colossians 3, kill the things in your life that are holding you back from following Christ. Take those, those are, it's dead weight on you, Paul says. You have too much dead weight on you, spiritually speaking. Cut that off, get rid of it. And then he gives us a list. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, all of which or idolatry. And on count, and on count of these things, the wrath is coming. The wrath of God is coming. You once lived in those, but now you must put all those things away, Paul wrote, including anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Church, if we're going to be the examples like this Thessalonian church was, we must cast aside our idols. And theirs might have been actual statues or actual things, figurines or whatnot. For us, it's these sinful things in our lives that we need to get rid of, right? And make sure we're walking closer to Christ. We need to mortify the flesh, put it to death. One of the biggest lies ever in my generation is that you can be a Christian and be just like everyone else. That is a lie. You cannot be a Christian 
and be just like everyone else. There must be a response, a change that God does in us where we put aside idols, put aside sin, and turn to serve Christ. Has there been a distinct change in your life? If you've met Christ, there has been. Number three. The Thessalonians received the word, they responded to it, and then the natural outcome of that is that they represented the Lord. And when I say represented, I mean that in the the sense of verse 6 of chapter 1, when he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Then in verse 7 he says, you became examples to all those who believe in Macedonia and Achaia. It says in verse 8, the word has gone forth. The word of the Lord has gone forth and sounded out. That is the idea of like a, a trumpet blowing. If someone walked in this morning and blew a trumpet, that'd be pretty loud in here, wouldn't it? That'd make some noise. That'd wake us up this morning. He says the, the word of the Lord and your faith has gone out in the entire region. Macedonia, which is like northern Greece. Achaia, which is the southern area. And all these different cities, the word has spread forth. Their faith had gone public and they are representing what Christians should be, what the church should be. All those. And again, we don't know how many it was. We know that not all believed, but some Jews did, some Gentiles did, some men and women did. However many it was, their faith was spreading. They're becoming a representation of, of Christ. Think about that. Think about what that means. That people were trying to hush them and quiet them, and what happened? their faith still got out. You can't stop, you can't put out, right, what God starts. The fire that God starts, you can't put it out. Although people try. I want to point out something to you I noticed in verse 7. Who were the Thessalonians' examples to, according to verse 7? What does the Bible say? Were they examples to the whole world? Were they examples to the lost? Or were they examples to someone else? Do y'all see it? Do you see it? Verse 7, they were examples to all that believe. Now, might their faith go out and God use that to reach the lost? Of course. And I pray that our lives would be the same way. But specifically here in verse 7, he is saying, he's saying this, all these other cities, Berea, Philippi, Corinth, Athens, all these other cities have churches. And as they hear about your faith, Thessalonians, they're encouraged in their faith. Maybe they're thinking about giving up because they're going through affliction, but then they hear the Thessalonians have joy in their affliction, and they're encouraged to say, you know what, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep following Christ. Maybe they're hearing about the hope that Thessalonians have in the second coming of Christ. We're going to talk more about that next week, and then every chapter in this book talks about the second coming of Christ Maybe some of these other churches aren't quite as strong in believing that Christ will return. And they say, wow, Thessalonians believe in this. Maybe we should believe like them. So they're they're being examples to those who believe to the church. And I want to encourage us this morning to be examples to our church, to each other, and then maybe even to other people around us. And as I do that, uh, a a few thoughts came to my mind, and I want to give you these. I think I have notes here on this. Um, I want us to be careful. I want to give us some reminders that I think we need to hear. I need to hear this. I think many of us need to hear this. You ready? 
Number one, related to churches and how we can encourage each other, other churches as well. Not every group who calls itself a church is a biblical church. Do you agree with that? Not every church who calls itself a church is a biblical church. You can put the name church on anything, I guess. It doesn't make it a church, right? A church is a group of people that are committed to Christ and have several other characteristics, not just a group of people who meet together, right? So we understand that. Number two, not every group who calls itself a church is striving for biblical purity. In other words, some churches are closer to Scripture than others. Would you agree with that? And my goal is for our church to be as close to Scripture as we possibly can be. Are we 100% perfect? Definitely not. We're not going to be, are we? Are we as right as some other churches? Maybe not. But are we striving for that biblical purity and biblical lining? Yeah, we want to be close to the Scripture. I would actually, and somebody said this years ago, someone said, don't go to the church closest to your home, go to the church closest to the Bible. I like that, right? And if it happens to be, Nick, if it happens to be the church closest to your home, that works out, right? But you see the point, right? And some of us drive a distance to get here, but I, I, I'll, I don't mind a drive if I'm going to a church that I believe is closer to Scripture, right? The church I want to go to is a church close to Scripture. I once made this list of, and this is years ago, and I called it, what would my dream church look like years ago? My dream church. If, if I could pick any church and make it look just like I wanted it to look, what would it look like? Here's my list. You ready? Number one, the people are grounded in biblical theology. That's my number one. If I know from the pulpit to the pews or chairs that people are grounded in solid biblical theology, in other words, they care about the Bible. The Bible is not just a side piece in their life. It's not just a side thing, but they actually care about it. If, I, if people care about the Bible, I could really consider going to that church. How do you know if they care about it? They'll talk about it. It doesn't mean they carry it. A lot of churches this morning have a lot of people holding Bibles under their arms, walking to church, don't care about it. But do we care about it? Do we, does it matter to us? Do we read it? Do we want to know it? Do we desire to hear it in Sunday school and in preaching? Do we desire to see it in our songs? Our prayers. That's my first characteristic of a dream church is people in biblical theology, which must start with a pastor. Number two uh, about this is a church is growing in practical discipleship. In other words, pastors are training people. Ladies are training other ladies. Men are training other men. People are training the children. The, the church is just growing together in discipleship. There's a web of biblical relationships. Where people talk about football, they talk about life, they talk about their jobs, they talk about their health, but they talk about all those things in the prism of Christ and his word. And the third thing for me on my dream church is that people are just giving to each other, that they will help each other in times of need. That's just three. There's more. You know, you want to give me, I'll give you some more real quick. It was not on my notes. I like to be a part of a church that has multiple, multiple generations. I want babies and 100-year-old people and all in between. I would, like to be able, I would like to be able to part a church that was multi, uh, different types of people, different types of races and groups. Um, but the main three is this, biblical knowledge and, and founding, growing in practical discipleship and giving of others. So that's our goal, to be a church that's striving for biblical purity. A third reminder, our goal is to always be reforming to the Word. Our goal is to always be reforming to the Word. As individuals, as families, and as a church, are we trying to do this? 
And for us, this means the main doctrines, the main things like one God, three persons, the Trinity, salvation through Christ alone, the Word is inspired and sufficient, all these major doctrines, that means that we have nailed these things down and we're going to continue to preach and drive those home. That we know them, that we believe them, and that these babies in the church grow up and they hear these things as well. This also means that the secondary things that we discuss in church, we're going to try to nail down what we believe on that as well. Some of these secondary issues, what's the scripture say? How should we see these things according to the Bible? And then when it comes to some of the less important issues or ones that we're not sure about biblically, we strive to, to discuss those things with love and compassion and grace and come to an understanding of what the Bible says. But church, our goal is to always be reforming to the word. Number four, I want us to make sure we understand this. We're not the only church who believes right or does right. I never want us to get to the point where we think we've got it all figured out. Are we the only people around doing the right things? And that can be a danger. That can be a danger for us who believe certain things and really care about what we believe. But there are other groups of people, right, who love God, serve God, and believe things even like we do. Now, I would argue, you may have to drive a little bit to find some, <laughs> close, to, close to here, but, um, but I want us to make sure we never reach that place of like arrogance or pride or any kind of thoughts like that. There are other churches out there, other believers, other pastors who are fighting the good fight that we're fighting, who are striving to know Christ and serve Him. We should pray for those people and be encouraged by those people and Again, I'm blessed to know many of those people, many of those guys through like ministry connections and things like that. I know Jason is as well. But I just want you to know that, right? We, may, it, may it never be that we have this mentality of we're better than anybody else. Because all we're trying to do is number three, right? Reform to the word. And number five, may we strive to follow Christ and his word so distinctly that other believers would do the same. May we strive to follow Christ and his word so distinctly that other believers would desire to follow him and his word the same. This is what the Thessalonians were doing. Not perfect. They had some issues. We're going to talk about those in the next couple months. But in joy, through affliction, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they received the word, responded to it, and their faith were examples to other believers. And may we do this. May we seek to be so joyful, serious, joyfully serious about our worship and our church things that we would encourage others to be the same as well. What spread according to verse 8? According to verse 8, as they did this, as they were distinctly following Christ, other believers heard the word of the Lord according to verse 8. And their faith, which is an objective truth, which is the gospel, right? It's a, that's it. The gospel is the gospel. We sang it this morning. Christ died, buried, and risen. The good news of Christ. But also their faith spread, which is more subjective, right? This is what I believe. This is my experience. And all of these things that I've just showed you related to the church and them representing the Lord gives us two, uh, two thoughts here. First, God uses his work in others to do his work in us. Who has God used in your life to inspire you, 
If we were in a small group setting right now, we could all discuss that and say, my, my mother, my father, my grandparent, my uncle, my aunt, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher. We could name people who inspired us as examples of the faith. And just as they did that for you, church, we can be that for other people. God uses his work in us to do his work in others. They received the word. They responded to it. They represented the Lord. Finally, they replicated the word. This word replicate means to copy, make a copy of, um, to reproduce. And just in the story of the gospel and in the story of the Thessalonians and the story of Paul, you can see this replication process. Think, think with me. You have Christ living a perfect life, dying for sinners, being buried, raising from the grave, ascending to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father, commissioning his disciples to go and make disciples of others. Along the way, the Apostle Paul meets Christ. Paul's called to be a missionary. He goes to all these different cities over in Greece, for example, like Thessalonica. He preaches there. The believers we've talked about today, gets, they become Christians. They're saved. They cast down their idols. They turn to serve Christ. Their faith is spread not only in their city, but even outside their city. And so now that people all over Greece, or what is now Greece, people all over that area hear about it. They thank God. They praise God. And they worship God. And so the, the, the gospel that the Thessalonians have represented is now being replicated in other places. In other words, they were not a reservoir for the gospel, right? They were a river for the gospel. The gospel did not stop with them. As it passed through them, it kept going. And so church, you might be sitting here thinking, what can we do? What can I do to be a representation of the Lord or replicate the word? What can I do? You know, I come to church. You know, I'm a nice to everybody. I give offerings. I help with the children. I help with this or that. What can I do to, be a, to replicate my faith? Which I hope is important to you, by the way. I hope that's, that is important to you. Not, and not just to replicate the current Baptist Southern Bible Belt culture, but to replicate true biblical Christianity, what does that look like? And do we have a desire that the word of the Lord and our faith would spread abroad from our lives? Well, the best way I know to share that with us and how we can do that is called our discipleship pathway. And I want to share this with you again. I've shared it with you before. And as I share this, I want you to ask yourself, where am I at on this pathway, and where should I be going? All right? Where am I at? Where am I going? Am I an example of Christ? Am I following Christ? And how can I do that better? Number one, the first step, of course, is to turn to Christ. To turn to Christ, which is to salvation, to repent and believe. And apart from that, right, um, there's no other steps. Do you know Christ? Has he changed your heart? Number two, once you've been saved, uh, have you joined the congregation, joined the church, become a member of the church, that you can fully um, engage in what we're doing as a church. Um, we all need that. We need that connection with each other. Number three is to invest in the church. And by invest, I mean that you would 
work in other people's lives and allow them to work in your lives. Um, I was thinking about this this week. Um, I've had many people over the years say things like this to me. You've said, some of you have said these things, and some of you have heard these things. I've thought these things, I'll be honest. In my 20 years of ministry, having children, there's been times in my past where I've thought, should I go to a different church so that my sons can have more friends to hang out with? Anybody ever thought that before or heard that before? As a matter of fact, the biggest church I ever served became big because it put all the emphasis on children's ministry. And so guess what happened? People started coming in droves, leaving their churches to come there because there were more activities for kids. Why? Those people's number one priority at that stage of life was to give their kids activities to do. Was it all bad? No. But I would argue that that took precedent over biblical theology and truth. I've thought this before. Should I go to a different church that has a bigger band to play in? Right? I'm a musician. I'm going to play with a bigger band. Be, be fun. I've thought that before in the past. So I go to this church because it's bigger, more opportunities, looks better on a resume. Well, I've had those opportunities before. Many people view church that way, as consumers. Like, what can that church do for me? And then you go to two or three, and you check them out. What, what can that do for me? And I'll pick the one that does the best that I can consume, right? Has the best options, which is how we treat other things, right? Number three on this list is what we offer as a church. And to me, here's what we offer. Besides, and by the way, I hope in the next couple of years we do have more children's activities. With all these children we have, that's going to be, that'll be exciting. But here are the things I, we offer now and I hope we'll always offer. Biblical preaching. Not perfect preaching, not the most exciting preaching all the time. I know I'm not the most exciting preacher, but I hope and pray it's biblical preaching. And the second thing that we offer that we all need is biblically driven relationships. And the way you get that here is on Sunday, at Sunday school now or on Wednesday night discipleship groups, you sit with a group of people and you talk about your week, you talk about the sermon, you talk about life, you talk about your faith, you pray with each other. And you have relationships where people care about you and want to help you walk through life. That's what we offer, and that's the greatest thing we offer, the gospel and discipleship. And we can at some point offer more things than that, but I hope those will be always the top two, the gospel and discipleship. So, are you there? Have you turned to Christ? Have you joined the congregation? Have you invested in the church by joining a group, if possible, for you? Number four, do you impact your crowd? That is, do you, do you take your faith out of this place, to your home, to your workplace, allowing your, your life to be a, an example for others and a witness for others? Finally, for some, you might end up replicating your core, which means you might one day decide to be a leader of a discipleship group or lead a Sunday school class or teach. And we already have several leaders here that in this way, and I pray God would raise up more disciple makers. I like that word better than leader, Jason. Disciple makers. That's what we want to pray for, that God will raise up more and more disciple makers.
where are you on this, on this journey? This, again, just helps us see where we are as, as individuals in the church. Um, I want it to be my, my goal, right, to help you just figure out where you, where you go here and how you follow Christ more, how you be more, a more impactful part of the church. Here's my conclusion. Every one of us is an example of something. Every day, if you go out and are around people, whether at home or somewhere else, you're an example of something. And God has called us, like he did these Thessalonians, to be examples of the faith. Might we be examples of biblical Christianity, Christian living, gospel-centered lives? May God make us look more like Jesus. And then may God receive all the glory for anything good that might happen because of our faith. Let's pray.